Welcome to the Knit British Podcast. On this journey, exploring connections of localness in wool and knitting, from sheep to skein, I am your host, Louise Scully. Hello and welcome to episode 114 of the Knit British Podcast. You might think that it sounds a little bit different today. I am recording in the kitchen, um, which is much bigger than the office, and also probably you'll hear a bit more background noise. But hey, it's an British back podcast, there's always background noise of some description. If it's not buses going past, it's cats meowing or cavorting. Thank you so much for joining me uh, for another episode, and if this is your first visit with us, then a special... Uh, welcome to you. Today I uh, want to bring you a bit of the talk that I did for the North Atlantic Native Sheep and Wool Conference in Uist uh, last September and it's a talk about being an advocate for wool, um, what we can do to champion local wool, small wool businesses, indie makers and such. Um, spoiler, it's about being active, not about being passive. Um, I also have uh, an awesome maker to introduce you to uh, and a review of Turned Studios. And um, yeah. And let's see what else we have time for today. Hopefully you can manage a little bit of a chat about Fieldwork Mal and Edinburgh Yarn Fest and things like that. Before we go on, I just wanted to say thank you so much for your feedback from the last episode, uh, particularly on the subject of safe space and on the discussion of inclusivity and racism in our crafty world. I'm really glad that um, some of you found the links helpful and were able to start to become part of the conversation um, and are being thoughtful and active um, going forward in a positive way. Um, so thank you very much. I am still committed uh, to doing more, reading more, learning more. In fact, this week um, I took part in a workshop uh, at the university where I work on racism and unconscious bias and it was utterly eye-opening and there was a six-page resource list which had been so well put together and you can you better believe that I'll be taking note. Uh, the conversation is still going on, it's not going away and um, you know there's still a lot of work to be done. It's necessary to have these discussions and it's necessary to um, escalate the conversations. So, be an advocate. Uh, this is part of my talk that I did at the North Atlantic Native Sheep and Wool Conference in US back in September and um, I've always meant to bring you this episode of this talk um, and to edit it a little to add to it. Um, I am going to slightly edit um, what, I, what I originally said because I was 
doing the talk for the benefit of people who perhaps hadn't heard of the podcast before, people who worked with wool, worked with sheep, um, uh, and perhaps weren't um, familiar with the Knit British podcast. But actually, I'm not going to edit it too much because this is a really good opportunity to introduce myself to some of our new listeners and just maybe a reminder to some of our regular listeners. So the North Atlantic Sheep and Wool Conference as a bit of background. Um, you can listen to uh, my sort of feedback from that conference in episode 111. But uh, it was a conference uh, which focused on the North Atlantic um, sheep who are part of the Northern European short-tailed breed group. And those who were at the conference were those who uh, kept the breeds, worked with the wool, made uh, with the wool um, in various different and fantastic ways. But it was the theme of the day uh, that I spoke was of uh, wool and working life. And uh, my paper, uh, the title of my paper was Local Wool Be the Change. I started off by noting how wonderful it had been to be part of a conference where there were a variety of speakers who all shared wool at their core of their work and how um, it's so important to their lives and their businesses. I wanted to talk a little bit about my experience of that, so um, this is where we begin. Uh, You can imagine that you are at the North Atlantic Sheep and Wool Festival too, if you want. (laughs) Uh, I, I want to talk a little bit about my experience of the British wool scene from where I stand, which is not someone with a marketing degree or any kind of qualification, but um, with experience and insight that I've just learned from deep diving into the woolly world and the woolly resources that we have right here on our doorsteps in the UK. Um, So I will be talking a little bit about why I wanted to start a podcast that focuses on British wool, why I think it's important to share widely our experiences of local wool, and then look at some of the ways in which we can tell our own wool stories and raise the profile of local wool and wool folk far and wide. Sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? Well, For me, supporting local wool through my own knitting was first and foremost, and still is, a personal cause. I didn't think when my interest started that I would end up having a podcast or be asked to talk uh, in front of people about local wool, but here we are. Um, A knitter of many years, I had a bit of a wool epiphany in July 2012. Uh, I was knitting with a wool that had come from a sheep, which was about a mile away from my back door and uh, it had been organically spun and dyed in Scotland and just suddenly I was flooded by everything that that meant the importance of supporting all of the parts of that process and the importance of me as purchaser of and practitioner with that local wool. I should say that at this point I had no massive yarn stash to speak of. Um, I had one box that fitted under the bed um, and at that point I thought that having more than three works in progress at one time was utter chaos. Uh, All that was to change. With that calling to 
British rule to local rule, um, there was immediately the need to change my rule buying habits, to read labels, to find out where my materials had come from, and also to support small wool businesses who were doing what they could to champion some of the many breeds that we have here in the UK. I started a blog, uh, which is now the website www.knitbritish.net, and I thought that if one other person might learn something along with me about British wool, then that would be the goal. Um, I asked on social media for suggestions of British yarnies and UK dyers, not even aware at this stage that there were over 60 distinct breeds of sheep in the UK, or nearly 90, um, uh, with crosses and really dependent on who you ask, uh, where you get your info. Um, but I gave myself a year to learn about British wool. You know, I'm rolling my eyes now because quickly I realised that that wasn't going to be enough time. Um, at that point, my Twitter following was 77 um, and that ballooned thanks to people who were sending me their tips and getting me connected with incredible wool people and my stash list, uh, wish list kind of grew from there. The yarn that I used first, um, if you're interested to know, uh, was Uridale yarn. Um, I um, was living in Shetland when I got that calling to use more local wool um, and uh, it was a fantastic pink colour which I think was called Self Heal perhaps um, and I'll put pictures in the show notes so that you can have a look at what I made with it. So quickly I realised that a year was not going to be enough, not simply to try out all of the local breed wool that I could but also it wasn't going to be long enough to meet and talk to all of the people who had an important story to tell about local wool. And that was, and still is, my own curiosity. I wanted to know, I wanted to hear from people and learn about their work and also be able to make something with their yarn. From blogging and social media, there was a real interest from others, uh, people who were looking to buy the same yarn that I was using, um, people that were still sending me tips and suggestions and adding to my yarn and wool people bucket list. So it soon became clear that, first of all, a year wasn't obviously going to be long enough and that there was a natural leap to do a monthly podcast, which started in 2014, um, which is five years, which is amazing. Um, and I wanted to try and bring some of those wool stories to a bigger audience uh, I decided to go with an audio podcast and not a video podcast for a great many reasons. But to me, sound and voices are important textures, just like wool, unique and varied. And I really wanted to let more people hear about those stories, um, as well as making voices and stories more audible. The purpose of doing a podcast was to channel my learning and also make a small repository of links and resources that others could find helpful. And for me, learning and education about wool is such an important thing. You know, I didn't do this to become an authority or an expert. In fact, I hugely dislike the term expert um, and I don't like it when it's applied to me because I really don't think you can be an expert when there is so much more to learn. Um, it, there is so much more to learn. As the podcast has gone on, the emphasis is more than ever on what we can learn as a community. 
And from thinking that I might have one blog reader, the podcast has grown to having 30,000 downloads a month. People from all over the world, which still astonishes me because when I'm doing this, when I'm talking to a microphone, I still sometimes feel like I'm just talking to that one other person who might be interested to hear about what I'm doing. And, you know, it still astonishes me when people get in touch about... And in addition to incredible feedback and support from from people at home in the UK, I would get emails from America saying, where can I buy British wool? And I still get emails from people in Eastern Europe asking me to send Wensleydale and Teeswater locks. I'm not sure if a rumour went round that I can hook people up with um, long wool locks, but I get about two emails a year from the same place, different people about can I please send Wednesday little teaswater locks? It's, it's, I'm sure my face must be on a, a poster somewhere saying, you know, I can sell those. I don't. <laughs> uh, it's lovely to realise that more people are interested in buying and trying British wool. But there's a really important issue that became apparent is that for those listening outside the British Isles, why not seek out your local? What are your local breeds? Where are your local processing and mills happening? Where are your local wool practitioners? From there, it clicked that while knitting British was what my initial mission was, and that is something that I continue to explore, supporting local wool, whatever that might be for listeners, that was the message to send out. And I do know that local is tentative and an unfixed thing. For some people, local wool or fibre and production isn't on their back doorstep. It's not even in their main town. It could be in their country or state. But carrying the message, love local wool, has since been my motto. And it's my mantra on the podcast. We do a lot of knit-alongs and the only condition for taking part is usually that you have to try and seek out what's local to you. And it is really lovely to see handmade items from people from all over the world, the UK as well, who say they didn't know what was out there and what was available until they started looking. Either native sheep or local flocks or rare breed yarns or or local dyers. And that makes me want to punch the air because for them it moves past simply being a material for which to make with, uh, where it has come from, has meaning and it makes them connect to their locale through their own making. With the podcast, my eyes were open to the sheer amount of people who do listen and do participate with craft podcasts, of which there are many varied kinds, and it made me really appreciate the heft of the knitting community out there. Heft as in sizable, but also heft in their loyalty and continued presence in the crafty community. Something I found, uh, particularly in the Knit British community, is that our capacity for knowledge and learning uh, and our support for crafts is incredible. And that is often only paralleled with our desire to stash more yarn uh, and learn more crafty skills. 2018 was the year which we begun wool exploration, looking at one breed in any yarn form, researching sellers of breed yarn, to road testing it, to putting it through its paces, 
and it's taken our interest in local and British wool a step further, I would say. It ask, makes us ask questions of the wool. We wash it and we block it and we do it more than once and we look beyond the squish of a ball and really, really test how it wears and how our attitudes of that breed wool can change. In respects to, to wool exploration, in respects to how we've been doing reviews lately, it is not good enough to have me, one person, say, this yarn is great, this is a great breed, go and buy it. I think it's an important facet to remember that because one person, one voice can do many things, but collectively, uh, so much more can be achieved and learned. And it is important to show different opinions and experiences of breed wool. Um, I'm always keen that wool explorers try and find the chosen breed in a yarn or fibre that's local to them, whatever that is, so that we can see how a Romney from New Zealand looks and feels when compared to a Romney from uh, Kent or the UK, or how Baby Doll Southdown uh, breed in North America compares to Southdown from the UK, or even how in the UK one breed can differ farm to farm. As we always say at New British, one breed of sheep will not produce homogenous fleece, so we can't expect breed yarn to be the same. And it doesn't stop there. Wool and fabric is always changing. The more you wear it, the more you look after it, it can change over its lifetime. We need to put local wool under a microscope and show people what it can really do. And the other part of that, and the other part of wool exploration, is building up a vocabulary, uh, which will help others to recognise how different breed wool will wear and feel. But it can be problematic. Um, the words that are usually used uh, to describe wool, we see it in marketing at least all the time, are soft or itchy. Both of these are fairly subjective, the latter particularly. Touch is unique in all of us. We all have different skin receptors in our in our skin. These change over time. They're different in every person. So itchy is not a satisfactory word to use to describe a yarn and definitely not a good word to use to describe a product that we can find such a value in in hand knitting and it can be value valuable in what it can create too. Uh, breed wool has unique characteristics and textures that we need to celebrate and dismissing a ball of yarn from one squish isn't thinking about the potential of that yarn. Something else that wool exploration has done has made us ask questions about local wool. Um, why are some breeds almost non-existent in yarn form? What uh, does it mean in terms of wider use? It really has been an exploration in every way and we will be doing more of that in 2019, as we are now. And um, as well as engaging ourselves with breed-specific yarn and discovering the potential for garments, as well as starting discussions amongst ourselves and creating a new vocabulary and a helpful resource for others. I'm also really happy that the Net British community is joining in with other important fieldwork, pardon the pun, uh, and larger conversations about local wool as well. Discussions which happen at annual events like uh, Wovember and contributing to uh, discussions and learning in CALS and on social media platforms uh, and bigger conversations and bigger campaigns. It's really fantastic um, that 
the net British community are weighing in on those things. Uh, uh, you know, there's such a lot of marketing and money that goes into larger wool campaigns, which focus on wool for fashion, flooring and upholstery. These big campaigns are important, but they utterly glance over the important work that's been done at the grassroots level. And I want to focus the rest of this talk on the importance of impactful storytelling for local wool. Something that's important to consumers is a connection. People not only want to connect with the product in a hands-on way through wearing or making, uh, but also purchase decisions can be made or broken on the story that that yarn can tell. Labels. Labels are a bit of a once upon a time of the story of the yarn. They can set out exactly the important information that we need to do before we set out on our adventure of wool exploration. Uh, interestingly, all that's compulsory on a label to comply with weights and measures legislation is the weight of the ball and the fibre composition. So not specifics, just wool or acrylic or whatever. Uh, putting information on a label fills in the gaps in our knowledge as buyers and helps us connect with that yarn. Is it wool? What are the breeds? Is it a blend? Tell us what's in the mix. Where was it grown? Where was it processed? All of this gives us information. They add dimension to that yarn and they let us make informed decisions when it comes to buying. I'm going to put up some pictures in the show notes um, of the slide that I used at the talk. Um, just examples of yarnies who are really connecting us to the product, um, where they show breeds, origins, provenance, and a real sense of honesty and traceability, as well as a lovely, well-crafted label. Those kind of things are really important. Um, there are also connections through labels to locality and heritage. Take Uist Wool, for example, I am not a Gaelic speaker, as you will have heard if you've listened to this podcast before, but the importance of supporting the intangible cultural heritage of language in their yarn names speaks volumes to me. And it is as important as supporting the tangible culture and heritage of local wool um, and all that means. But having names like Rorscht, Contrai, Sheehan, Sheban, all these kind of things I just think are incredible in connecting us to that product and where it's come from. Via social media and great blogs and websites, we get a window into the wool world, albeit a very small one, square-shaped on our devices. If a label is the once upon a time, then social media, blogs um, of yarn companies are where we find the continuing story, the ripping yarns. As buyers and consumers, again, want to feel those connections. And through social media, and through great websites and blogs, we get an enormous sense of the product and of the process um, that wool goes through before it gets into our hands. As well as being a platform to show off beautiful wool and beautiful products, it's an important insight into the work that small businesses do. It can provide a place for people to ask questions and find out more about the yarny, their business, their products. And it's a great way to find and interact with other people who love wool. You know, I have often heard from people that have small wool businesses that they're too busy to use social media and that they can't or don't want to interact online. The hard truth is, nobody said it was going to be easy running a business. 
marketing is a huge part of that and small wool businesses have zero marketing budgets. Social media is free. It can be an excellent marketing tool. You need to take time to post and interact. Um, To neglect that is to neglect the potential for business, I think. Interest and importance of local wool is building all the time with buyers, just like the importance of eating local food and supporting local food production has. We have more people checking labels, seeking out local wool, where they live. Uh, Not only locally produced wool, but wool products and wool that's been dyed locally. Um, It makes it onto our souvenir list when we go on holiday. People are also making wool-based destination stops on their travels. Edinburgh Yarn Festival, Shetland Wool Week, New Lanark Mill, Uist Wool. You know, even holidays that you can book around yarn and important woolly places, knitting and wool tours to Iceland and places like that. So yes, interest in local wool is there. But I don't think we're on the crest yet. We still need to convince more people. And there are still myths about using wool. The three myths that I'm regularly faced with isn't local wool by definition more expensive? Isn't it all poor textural quality? And isn't it all brown? I still get those five years after doing this podcast. Um, some of the issues here are down to lazy reporting. But this kind of misinformation sticks. And those three things devalue the hard work that goes into creating, selling and promoting wool. It's just enlightenment that's needed. Uh, and we can all contribute to that. We can all contribute to rule enlightenment. As to number one, I firmly believe that where yarn is involved, um, there is a yarn for all budgets, and you can read about that on my blog. I've spoken about it so many times. But if the question really is why does a small farm local wool sometimes carry a, high, a higher price tag than a commercially available yarn? Well, there needs to be enlightenment on what it takes to finance a small wool business and the cost of what it takes to get that skein of yarn made. There needs to be further questions asked as well. Uh, If the person asking that question only really wants cheap yarn, then what is it they're willing to sacrifice in the process and lose? Sheep still need to be cared for. They still need to be shorn every year. Valuable skills and knowledge go into every stage of that process to create a stunning yarn. So where would they like to cut financial corners? Sometimes the answers are not what people want to hear, but by providing them with that information, they are still able to make an informed decision. Uh, In terms of wool being of poor textural quality, the myth is that some people think that British wool means wool spun for carpets. We have a lot of breeds here in the UK who grow great wool for carpets, um, but also we have uh, sheep that grow incredible fleece for for um, for yarn. Um, there are also sheep who do both beautifully, create wool for carpets and for hand knitting. And also, who said carpet wool meant inferior wool? It's got to last a lifetime, right? Um, make recommendations to change people's mind when you hear them say things like this. Sometimes it's it's that they've had a bad experience with one breed yarn and they've been put off it. Um, Someone who's tried a Shetland yarn and they say, nope, I tried it once and I couldn't wear it. It was really itchy. You know, if they say that, believe that. But suggest another Shetland yarn. Suggest a different weight Shetland yarn. Suggest a differently spun Shetland yarn. Suggest a, a blended Shetland yarn. Suggest a superwash Shetland yarn, if 
that's what's available to you. Show them your own items made in Shetland wool. Suggest trying to use that wool in a place that would not be next to um, sensitive skin. Do not give up. Give fleece a chance. The route through all of the wonderful breeds of local wool and their textures is a long and enjoyable one. If you're up for the adventure, that is incredible. Uh, and, and no, not all wool is going to feel nice against your skin. And yes, some of it is perhaps best suited to stuffing in bus seats. But again, everyone will feel wool differently. And number three, isn't all wool brown? Well, yes, some of it is. And there are a lot of people who are making good money selling brown yarn. Um, But there is also a beautiful natural rainbow of natural shades. Be enlightened, learn a little more or be open to learning more. Um, The important thing, I think, when faced with any of these questions or myths about local wool is just inform and enlighten and challenge Connect them with the stories that you connected to. It was thrilling to be at the Nans Wool Conference and to speak to people who were part of a local wool movement and part of a growing interest. And it was so interesting how during that week there were so many people who used the same phrases in their talks. Journeys were discussed. Learning was discussed. It was another key word. Story. There is a real need to grow stories and spread them wider and raise our voices further. And sharing knowledge is the way to take local wool forward. If there's more knowledge sharing across wool work from fields to mills to designers to all craft practitioners then there is so much more potential. The wool world is a very rich tapestry of people, of valuable skills and of knowledge Sharing those skills and collaborating with others is a great way to progress um, local wool and to take those stories further. There are people from different backgrounds, not necessarily having a wool background to begin with, who have gotten up and gone, someone ought to do something with this local wool and it's going to be me. And they've started using it and they've sought connections to create with other people something meaningful and precious from a raw material that some would tell you is worthless. Lots of people have done this, have worked with mills, wool growers and have created incredible wool products. People are working hard to to illustrate and educate that fleece is not a worthless byproduct, that there are others who see great value in it and it's happening but we all need to be the change that we want to see in this wool world. We need to make more opportunities to get more people involved and have more conversations. Social media, again, is an important networking tool as well as an important marketing tool. I think there can be more real-life discussion and more action which can be borne out of those online places, and there's definitely benefit in having more events like the North Atlantic Sheep and Wool Conference geared towards fostering more from the wool world. And like I said, we have a rich tapestry of wool workers from all parts of the process. There is a lot of knowledge to be imparted, not just with wool, but other skills, um, skills in marketing, setting up online selling, sharing business skills and benefiting from the knowledge and stories and skills of others. 
Yes, we have the campaign for wool, uh, but the focus there is big wool businesses for fashion and flooring. Hugely important, but in terms of grassroots, wool work and small wool businesses, and in terms of being a crafter, we have our hands in the sheep's backs and we have that wool running through our fingers. We are a hugely important part of the conversation. And when you think of the giant leaps in production and innovation being made using local wool, using British breed wool and creating blends that you cannot find being made commercially, it is all at a grassroots level. It is all small wool businesses and people working from their kitchen tables. I've not got a crystal ball. Um, I think to progress, we need to advance towards something. If local wool production is not embraced and not given the support it needs, then we're going to lose that knowledge and those skills. From where I stand, and I again will tell you that it is not with anybody who has a degree in wool or any kind of marketing, but I just, from what I see from where I stand... It's clear that the big commercial wool industry here in the UK has been an old boys network where innovation and developments were kept under wraps from others in case of competition. Here with local wool and small businesses, the emphasis needs to be on what can be achieved together and learned from one another, not what can be taken from others. Again, there is more discussion to be had across the board. There is call for more progress in the UK, for example, with more scouting facilities, more mills. We always need more people to advocate for local wool too, to take up the mantle in their making and shout about it. Start a blog, start a podcast, start a vlog, campaign, raise awareness on your social media with your followers about your continuing adventures with local wool, wherever your local is, um, and tell them why they should buy it or why they should know about it. Write to your MPs, your MSPs, those in who have political power, and tell them what you need. Be a voice in your local wool enlightenment. And I think, importantly, join up with others to do this. Having a singular voice is great but it can also be difficult to be heard when it counts. There is strength in unity and the local wool world, the knitting community, needs and deserves unity. I'm not fond of the term social influencers. I don't like what being a social influencer has come to mean, but being a wool ambassador has a pretty nice ring to it. And it's something that we can all be You do not need to be an expert or an authority, but each of us, every single one of us who works with and creates wool, has experience and can be the change. I look back now, you know, since 2012, I've been thinking about British wool, and I think, would I go back? Would I, you know, leave it British wool after that year? Or, you know, would I have shook my head and going, nah, that's just a fleeting fancy to knit only with British wool? Well, there are definitely days that I feel like switching off social media and definitely days where I feel like hanging up this microphone, but I can never go back to knitting with anything else than local wool. My stash, which once fitted into one under-the-bed storage box, is exponentially bigger, Uh, but I'm able to look at each hank and see its importance as a local product and everything that that means. 
I definitely have more than three whips too, uh, but everyone is a flag for local wool and local people and I'm really proud to fly that flag. It's extraordinary where one ball of yarn can lead you. Listeners, we can all be advocates and I know so many of you already are. Um, Knitting and crafting is an active process and we can definitely be active in sharing, signal boosting and shouting out for our materials, their makers, the people who work behind the scenes to create them. And as a further addition to that original talk, I would say be an advocate for your fellow knitter. We all share a love of sticks and string. We are not all the same. We're not all doing the same things. But we can raise up the voices and actions of others. And that's one of the most positive things that has come out of the recent conversations on race and inclusion. Um, Aside from the fact that the conversation is happening, obviously that's a very, very positive thing. But having been introduced to amazing BME, BIPOC knitters of colour, women of colour mostly, who have these incredible businesses in our community, makers of colour, you know, no longer should our knitting community be whitewashed. We can all use our platforms, not only, like I've said, to talk about issues with the local wool, to talk about the yarn you're making with, to talk about the designer whose um, pattern you're making with that yarn, but we can also use our platforms to raise up our fellow knitters from all backgrounds, all colours, all genders, all countries, and show how amazingly important, complex and beautifully textured the pattern of our knitting community really is. We can all be wool ambassadors and we can all be an advocate for wool, wool businesses and all of the people in our knitting community. And with that in mind today, I want to share with you some of the accounts and links to some of the people that I've recently been introduced to through the conversation that's happening right now on social media and in our our knitting community. Dyers and Yarnies who I wasn't really aware of and who I would very much like to um, give a shout out to. And please go over to the show notes at netbritish.net and find the links um, so that you can also follow and buy from these wonderful people too. First up, Layla, who is the Urban Pearl on Etsy and Instagram. Layla is based in London and is a hand dyer. She dyes on merino and merino silk blends and she says in her Etsy shop uh, that hand dyeing is a truly creative process, producing variations in colour saturation and distribution, making each skein unique. Colour is applied in layers onto the skeins and most are dyed in very small batches and are individual, giving each skein its unique identity. Her merino is from non-mule South American sheep, which I love that that information is included. Thank you for including that. And she also uses BFL from British Breeds. 
I believe Layla from Layla's social media that she has a shop update which could be imminent or perhaps has been by the time this podcast goes out. Uh, but do check out the Urban Pearl. Um, I believe she's also going to be collaborating soon with Hey Brown Berry Mars on a design too. Thirdvaultyarns.com is the website of Lola, who is a dyer, and it says on her website that Lola is highly obsessive about crafting, and she is utterly inspired by uh, sci-fi and fantasy books, TV, game, films, and this shines through on her yarn, which also have awesome colourway names, such as Blast Ended Scroot and There Be Monsters. Uh, She dyes on a variety of bases, Uh, Lola also has beautiful designs uh, on Ravelry. She is Lola Johnson and Third Vault Yarns uh, on Etsy and her website and on Instagram. Mrs. Lamb Yarns uh, is the company of Ellen Sheck. She is based in Aberdeen and she dyes yarn and makes beautiful bags. Ellen is very inspired by colours in her landscape in Aberdeen. She is going to be vending at an Aberdeen yarn fest if you are going there. Uh, You can also find her on Instagram. She is Ellen, and you'll also find her at CallochSheckEllen.com for her online shop. Uh, Witchy Crafty Lady uh, on Instagram uh, and Etsy is Almas and she's a hand spinner and hand dyer and a knitter and a crocheter and her Etsy shop, she has just a beautiful um, selection of hand spun and hand dyed yarn and she also has spinning fibre. I recently saw some minis on her Instagram feed and they just blazed in colour. I went and had a little look in her, her Etsy shop, was really, really bowled over by the spinning fibre that she's got. Um, and I asked her a bit about it and she said that um, her bases for that can include Polworth, Shetland, folk- uh, Folklore, Falkland Merino, Folklore, Blueface Leicester and also Alpaca. Uh, and as well as handspun yarns she and spinning fibre, she also has knit and crochet items as well. So... Almas is Witchy Crafty Lady on Instagram and Etsy. Ocean by the Sea, Ocean Rose is a botanical dyer. Um, I think she's in London too. I might be wrong about that. Her her yarns just are delightful. Her whole Instagram feed is just lovely and beautiful. And the, the yarn bases that she dyes on are camel, mohair, Falkland Merino, Blueface Lester and Massam. And, you know, the colours just look so delicate and you know colour can speak to you on levels can't it and and something about her is just whenever I see a picture of her yarn appearing on my Instagram feed it just makes me feel so calm and happy. She is Ocean by the Sea on Instagram and Etsy. She just had a shop update um, so I think the next one isn't till a week on Saturday but do follow Ocean by the Sea um, as well as uh, Calic Sheck Ellen and Witchy Crafty Lady and Third Vault Yarns and the Urban Pearl. Um, I also want to point you in the direction of an amazing post by the Yarn Mission and you can follow them on Instagram too. The links are in the show notes and their blog post, uh, which I read this week, I think it was Felix Ford that flagged that one in our stories. Um, it's called Black Yarn Dyers and the Case for Purposeful Support 
and it's a really important resource if you're looking for BIPOC uh, dyers and business owners. So thanks very much to the Yarn Mission for that post. I'm linking to it in the show notes. And another great uh, resource if you're interested in BIPOC um, yarn dyers and yarnies um, is uh, Mars's Stories on Instagram at HeyBrownBerry. And I'm going to, you know, continue with this um, in any way that I can through my social media use and through the podcast to um, recognise that we knitters come in all varieties, wool people come in all varieties, and, we're, and it's about celebrating that. You know, on the topic of being an advocate, you know, I meant what I said um, in in the talk. It's not good enough for one person on a podcast to say, um, I believe this or you should buy this or get this this is really good we we all need to raise up our voices and we all need to elevate others elevate wool businesses you can't expect other people to do that work um, on your behalf you have to do some of that work yourself and it, we most of us have social media if we're not on Instagram or, or Twitter or, or Facebook you know, we are in contact with knitting groups sometimes or other people. It's it's just a wonderful thing to be to be able to say, hey, did you hear about this person? Did you hear about this great yarn? It's from this person. Did you hear about this great tweed? It's from made by this person. You know, it's so easy to be able to do that. And I see it happening on social media all the time. And there can be more of it. got an email from Jack McDonough who wanted to let me know about his business Turned Studios. I had a little look on his Instagram and I was bowled over by his woodwork. That's a bit of a pun because he has yarn balls but I was bowled over. He has yarn balls and other uh, wood turned items all from wood sustainably sourced in Northumberland. I mean talk about great using great local resources. Uh, Jack asked if I'd be interested in receiving a yarn bowl in exchange for an honest review and I was very pleased to be able to do that and to be able to tell you more about Turn Studios. I asked Jack if he could answer a couple of questions and tell us a little bit more about himself. This is what he had to say. He said, I first saw a guy turning uh, wood turning mushrooms in the new forest on a family holiday when I was about nine and I remember being absolutely mesmerized by the process but didn't give it a second thought after that and then he said through growing up and realizing that I wasn't cut out for an academic career um, he said he turned to his main passion which was food he's got that in uppercase so it's definitely a passion um, he said, from school, I went straight into professional kitchens, uh, being a quick learner and not at all work shy. Um, he worked his way up to a head chef position pretty fast. And he said, I continued chefing for a further um, eight years, so 13 years in total. But he said, being a chef is not the most healthy environment, both mentally and physically. And he says he's not ashamed to say that it finally got the better of him and he found himself in a position where he had to rethink his career. 
and he said he had a friend who was an amazing wood turner um, so he just started to do a little work with him making furniture he says and then I took a job at a local wood recycling community interest company making furniture for them from reclaimed wood and he said it was here that I discovered the wood lathe I started making salad bowls and jewellery boxes in my spare time, eventually moving to selling my work at markets and local shops. And then Jack says, last February, I decided to make a big scary jump to start my own business. I wasn't entirely sure how it would all pan out, but had faith that everything I'd been making had been selling well. Um, he got offered space selling items at Keswick Market in the Lake District and spent the majority of that year, last year, selling salad bowls, key bowls, rolling pins and chopping boards and things like that. And then he said, then I made yarn bowls and a whole new market opened up to me. Jack goes on to say, if my main passion is food, then my second is undoubtedly wood. He says many wood turners like to work with exotic woods and personally he finds that a bit strange and an unnecessary drain on the environment. Jack says for me it's all about local whether it's food or wood. Uh, It's so easy to overlook what's right on our doorsteps. He says I'm passionate about displaying the natural beauty that we have around us. He works almost exclusively with native hardwoods, dense woods that feel heavy once dry like oak ash, cherry and beech and he says as sure I'm as sure as it is the same with wool different types lend themselves better to different applications but if I had to pick a favourite I think it would be beech he says beech trees are known as the mother of the forest and that appeals to the hippie in Jack he says it has a very sentient feel to it warming, soft, unpretentious the colours in beech can be different from tree to tree from pinky white to almost black and he says, if I left it sit on the forest floor for a year or two, it can become spalt. And he says, please Google spalted beach. It's beautiful. And I did. And it is. I totally connect to everything that Jack says there about using local resources. You know, um, but he gets material and he gets how each has his different purpose and each can speak differently um, to the maker. And that, isn't that exactly what it's like with wool? And isn't that exactly what we what we talk about here on the British about supporting local and supporting the unique characteristics um, that wool, and in this case, wood has to offer? I'm absolutely delighted to be able to tell you a little bit about Turn Studio. And first of all, when the box arrived... Um, I was really impressed at how well packaged the box was. I'm really sorry. I'm one of those people who gets really, 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 really pissed off when you order something and it comes in a massive box with tons of packaging. And I ordered hand cream once and it came in this massive box. Like you could have fit, fit a TV in it. And it was in the bottom corner after I pulled out all of the um, packing paper, which is ridiculous. So um, responsible packaging um, is a big tick for me. And... My next thought was genuinely, wow. Um, I pulled out a beautiful beach yarn ball. So smooth, naturally beautiful. Um, just a simple swirl cut, a bit like the letter J, um, uh, cut out for the yarn. Do we have, do we have a name for that? 
is it an aperture or of some description. Um, it is also quite a good size because sometimes yarn balls that I've used with this, um, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna continue with the word aperture. Um, sometimes um, that cutout is is a bit too wide and I have used some yarn balls in the past where you know the yarn doesn't really stay um, slotted into that aperture it dances out um, so that was one of the first things that I noticed as well. I have two projects at the moment which is unheard of for me. Uh, one of them I'm working on a cone so can't really can't really put a cone in a yarn ball it doesn't really work um, so but the other is my field work shawl which is uh, Hansel uh, in Jimison and Smith uh, heritage worsted spun natural colour I thought that well that's I've, I've neglected that of late so let me just get that out and start knitting on that and you know I put it to work straight away and the diameter of this I'd say it's quite a large yarn ball um, I've got a 100 gram cake here um, and I would say that actually it could probably it could probably take more than a hundred gram cake of yarn, I would say. Um, let's measure. So it's about um, six inches, 15 centimeters across, and it's um, uh, sort of wider at the bottom. So um, it's got a good stand. Um, you know, it's very, very stable on the table. Pulling it through, I'm gonna have to wind this ball of yarn back up again now. But it's got a great action. And the other thing I was really struck by with this yarn ball was the weight of it. Um, and this is Beach, um, the yarn ball that I've been using. And it's just got a great, a great um, weight. When I say weight, it's not heavy. I mean, not that you're probably going to be carrying it around with you, but you might. You might want to take it to knit night with you or whatever. And it's going to be quite a sturdy item if you did want to travel with it. But I just love how it um, it feels, I love the weight of it. It's um, a very tactile, beautifully turned, simple object, but obviously unique because no two bits of wood are the same. This is what Jack says um, about the process. He says each bowl is turned by hand while the wood is green or still fresh. Um, and as the wood dries the bowl warps a little giving each bowl a slightly unique slightly elliptical shape the yarn groove is carved by hand to best complement the individual pattern of the grain the bowls are then hand sanded until silky smooth and the final step is to seal the bowl, the bowl with our homemade 100% organic wood finish i'll be really honest i you know, I have a yarn ball, um, a ceramic pottery one, which is beautiful, but I tend to put little odds and ends of balls of wool in there. I don't really use it as a yarn ball. This is the first time that I've had a yarn ball that I've actually made use of in the in the, the nature for, for which it was intended. There's no, going to be no more of that ball of wool rolling on the floor or getting under the sofa, you know. Um, the details are um, that you can find Jack's shop at turnedstudios.com that will take you to his Etsy shop he has yarn balls in all different kinds of wood ash, sycamore, cherry, beech um, there are medium sized yarn balls which are 
the ones that we have here, the six inches in diameter. There are also large yarn balls, which are approximately eight inches in diameter. The yarn balls start at 44 pounds. While they may be a considered purchase for some, they are all beautiful, so unique in the colors and the different um, grains and different effects of the natural wood. Um, I just had a look at the Etsy shop and saw the ash yarn balls. Holy crap, they are beautiful. You know sometimes when you hold a ball of wool and you can feel that it's got, it's had a story and that you are part of the continuation of that story and that it almost has a vibration you know, that speaks to you. Um, I know I've, spoke, I've spoken about this before. You know, and holding on to this beach yarn ball, I get that same feeling of, of being part of the continue, continuation of this product. It's gone from being a raw piece of material and somebody has spent a lot of, a lot of time and a lot of skill and a lot of knowledge in creating something that... I can have a use for and I can give it use and and I really really look forward to all the things I'm going to make um, with the help of this beautiful yarn bowl. So thank you so much to Jack um, for for letting me see it and review it and tell you about it and not only thanks to him for that but if I just reach across the table here and pick up something else. Here is another yarn ball that Jack has given us as a prize. This is um, a cherry yarn ball and I'm going to take the yarn out of it. Um, it is the same size as the beach yarn ball in that it is um, six inches across the top but it is squatter at the bottom same shape same beautiful curving simple aperture but I could tell that it was a different wood because it is about 100 grams lighter than the beach one um, it's a darker wood beautiful swooping grain there's an incredibly beautiful knot on the outside of the yarn ball which of course you can see from inside as well and one of you can win this yarn ball. So incredibly kind. And if you go to the, the show notes, you'll see a picture of it. So the cherry yarn ball, I'm going to put that into the prize pile for the fieldwork make-along. Um, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about fieldwork in a moment. But that will be one of the prizes that you can win if you're taking part in that. But also, because he is so incredibly kind, Jack has given Knit British listeners a 10% off code um, if you use the code TURNEDKB10 at the checkout in his Etsy shop you will get 10% off a yarn bowl which is incredible and the other incredible thing is that at the moment there's no um, expiry date on that and that is incredibly kind again so very thankful um, to Jack for sending these beautiful balls and um, that I just know that Knit British listeners are going to be um, making use of that lovely 10% discount um, thank you so very much mm -hmm. 
I've come to the point where I don't have any notes. But I think we still have a little time. Maybe we can talk a little bit about Edinburgh Yarnfest. Uh, I will have, I think I will have a podcast before Edinburgh Yarnfest. But I think that's going to be um, about something else that I recorded uh, just for recently. Um, but, of course, the thing that's coming up on many knitters' calendars is Edinburgh Yarnfest. Edinburgh Yarn Festival is on uh, from the 20th to the 24th. Um, classes uh, and fringe events sort of run from the 20th to the 24th with the marketplace from the 21st to the 23rd. And I am excited um, to see the exhibitors and see the people who are going to be there. And I'm actually, I don't think I'm quite prepared um, for how awesome it's going to be. I don't think my bank balance is quite prepared <laughs> either. <laughs> I can't remember who it was. Um, it might have been Louise Hunt, Kathan's Craft podcast, who said, before a big yarn fest, you should actually get out all of your stash and just have a look at it and see see what, you know, if there's anything you need or maybe you've got tons of yarn by one, kind, one dyer or one yarn company. Maybe you don't need to get buy some more at this yarn festival and I think that's a really good plan so I think I might try and do that at some point but yeah it's going to be kind of awesome if you've not been to EYF before it's pretty incredible <laughs> um, and it's pretty overwhelming as well so this is a good opportunity to, to say big yarn events can be overwhelming and um, places where there are a lot of people can be really overwhelming and I know that there are lots of you who listen to the podcast there are lots of us in this knitting community who you know suffer from anxiety and suffer from the ill effects of sort of negative effects of otherwise being in a very positive environment it can be draining you know it can be it can be a really um, overwhelming excitable process but it can leave you feeling a bit sapped and um so this is a good reminder to say you know look after yourself um take plenty of water with you i like to sort of make a little plan um that i might you know go and try and meet up with somebody at a certain time or or have certain events that, that you go to to break up your day if you're doing a class then that's that's really good but I kind of like little points in the day where I know I'll be doing something particular or seeing somebody in particular because going to a big event where there's a lot of motion and a lot a lot of um, fluid and just a lot of go 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 it, you can be carried off in that so I kind of like to do things like that. And yeah, what about shopping lists? That's another thing as well. I can get carried away with that too if I don't think about the kind of things I'm after or the kind of things that I want to buy. Um, I definitely know that there are British uh, yarny people that I want to hit up. Very excited to um, hear that the Border Mill are doing a four-ply Shetland. Um, so I'd quite be interested to have a look and a squish at that. Um, there is a company, I think they're a German company called Manuk, who have incredible project bags and pins and things. Um, so I'd be very excited to have a look um, at their stall. I am extremely excited that Countess Ablaze um, is going to be at Edinburgh Yarnfest. And of course, 
um, can I just blaze someone that I can always stand to have more of her yarn in my stash um, and so I'm excited to see what she's going to be bringing and what the, and if the blazing squad are going to be there I'm very excited about this the fact that Jimison's of Shetland and Jimison and Smith are going to be there is always a delight um, to go and see them and squish their yarn and buy their yarn um, Katie Greenbean the wonderful Katie Green is having a pop-up um, stall at Edinburgh Yarn Festival which was just announced recently very excited about that um, and just excited to see her because she's awesome who else am I excited to see Woolen Flower Jewel love 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 seeing her seeing her pouches, seeing her cowls she always has wonderful collaborations with other wool people recently, very 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 recently uh, on Instagram if you follow Jewels, you will have seen that she made a, fun, a beautiful dress in Daughter of a Shepherd Tweed. That is very, very, very exciting. Um, really, really, really can't wait to see the Daughter of a Shepherd Tweed up close at EYF. That's an amazing thing. An amazing um, part of uh, Rachel's journey with Daughter of a Shepherd that started with that um, fleece that was seen as worthless. Uh, and she's definitely someone who went, ah, someone's got to do something with this and it's going to be me. Um, which is, yeah, wonderful. Yarnistry are going to be at Edinburgh Yarn Festival and um, very excited to see stitch markers and notions and items that Emma um, will have. I don't think they've vended EYF before. If they vended last year, I definitely missed them. Um, so I'm definitely making a point to go and visit that stall. And of course, I will be frequenting the stalls who are selling wonderful 100% wool and um, that definitely includes Iona wool um, I am making with Iona wool just now um, and I don't think it'll be anything that I'll be able to finish for EYF but just loving their wool that's the, the yarn that I was talking about that's on a cone and oh, it's just beautiful their, their yarn is all single origin from Iona, different breeds in the blend but oh my goodness me it's just lovely it, I love that it's got this fantastic halo I, I've got a swatch in my hand right now you probably can't tell um, who else will I be going to visit well well, of course used wool Garthenor Ardalanish uh, but I'll also have to save some of my money <laughs> for the make wool event uh, on the Sunday where there will be more small wool local wool vendors I'm very excited about that too but um, while I'm on the topic of wool vendors at EYF one thing that comes to mind is to tell you that you will find me on the used wool stall um, for each day for a couple of hours I'm going to be helping out um, so come and come and see me there it'd be lovely to see you there um, and the other thing to tell you about when we're talking about wool at EYF is the field work make along because um, we are doing a little make along that is 100% wool and it celebrates all of the vendors at EYF who have 100% wool yarns and oh my goodness me the knit British community just always they take a cow and they just run with it I have been so um just it's just been amazing watching 
um, what everyone's getting up to over in the Knit British Ravelry group and what you're sharing um, on social media um, of your 100% wool whips and finished objects. And we do have some finished objects already. It is brilliant. So um, if you go over to uh, the Knit British Ravelry group, there is a finished objects thread. Io Saturnalia has done a 66 triangles cowl in midwinter yarns and uh, winterburn from Bahram U. Puck to Goblin um, did a Twixmas cowl in Countess of Blaise English Country Gentleman. Uh, Sadie Lou, she was another cowls, 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 cowls. Um, she did um, an Every Which Way cowl in Berlin Yarn Company's uh, Double Knit. And oh, and another one for the cowl crowd, Bethy Forty. She um, did a Magical Mystery Tour cowl in three handspun yarns and she spun the wool from used wool slubbing cakes uh, fleece from the little grey sheep and the stein fine wool Um, and it just looks incredible looks such a cozy cowl june in edinburgh she did the little grey sheep um uh, scandy hat and knitted using the stein fine uh, yarn for apply it looks beautiful june um another cowl uh stumpy uh, 01 julia did the oatmeal cowl using three natural colors of a yarn from north royalty looks beautiful for the knit of it, did uh, an epistrophied hat in buccal yarn. Halcyon Day did another a fantastic hat. What is that? It's Oliver's hat in Jimison and Smith's Supreme Jumperweight. Anne Gustard, another cowl, uh, the Compass Cowl by Tin Can Knits using Whistlebear Cheviot Blue Mini Skeins. Oh my goodness, it's beautiful. Hannah K. Ross did the Stremsund hat, knit out of Orkney wool DK from Bee Inspired Fibres. Emma1969 has done the beeswax mitts in John Arban Viola. Be Lavender, uh, another cowl, this is the cowl season you guys, uh, did a triple toe and circular scarf, oh, we'll call it a circular scarf then, uh, in Jimison's two-ply jumper weight. Joe Sky did the sky seeping shawl made from 100 grams of Ulcentrum uh, from Midwinter Yarns. H. Dianander um, made the Ninnock sweater, uh, uh, the jumper, uh, she did it in three weeks. Oh, I'm jealous of you and your fast knitting. She used Whistlebear Cheviot Marsh for the main colour and J&S two-ply jumper weight for um, some of the colour in the yoke. It's a beautiful pattern. Long D knitter, um, Made the Ivy Dean hat by Willie Wormhead in Used Wool Contry. That is beautiful. It's very subtle changes of colour. Gorgeous. Um, and keep them coming. There's more work going on. The chat thread is chatty. Um, you're sharing on inst- uh, Instagram and social media using hashtag fieldworkmal. Remember, you can sew. So if if you've bought tweed from Used Wool or Daughter of a Shepherd, maybe, or um, Ardlanish or any of the Edinburgh uh, Yarn Fest vendors who are selling cloth, um, feel free to take part in a sewing project as well. I don't have a meetup planned for the fieldwork mal yet. Um, it's always very difficult to try and organise a meetup at Edinburgh Yarn Fest, even when we did have the podcast lounge, um, because some people can't go on certain days, some people don't have tickets for certain days. Um, so I'd like to try and organise a cup of coffee on the Sunday if you're going to make wool. Again, I appreciate that. 
not all of you got tickets for that. Um, and I appreciate that not all of you got tickets for the specified days in which you want to go to Edinburgh Yarn Fest. But do remember, on the Thursday, Friday and Saturday, you can queue to get in. But if you see me at Edinburgh Yarn Fest, come up to me and show me your fieldwork mal finished object and let's have a chat about it. I'd love to see what you've made. But watch out, um, I'll try and organise a cup of coffee um, at the, the Make Wool event on the Sunday, if possible. You know, I've not got a space dedicated for meetups, so it really will just be a bit of a, a put-up kind of thing. But yeah, let's try and have a cuppa. Or if you see me and we're near the photo booth, let's go and get a photo with our, with our fieldwork uh, items on. I haven't finished mine yet. <laughs> surprise surprise i'm always so bloody slow in these things so hopefully i will have something finished in something by uh one of the eyf vendors in 100 percent wool you can pretty much guarantee it'll be in 100 percent wool um i might have finished my hansel half hap by then you never know so i think that's probably enough for one episode and um i will be back in march with probably a couple of episodes actually um, one uh, on the topic of cliquing, which you will find out more about next time. Also, later in March, obviously, going to be talking about EYF, um, but also uh, we're going to have our Cheviot wool exploration. And I'm very excited to have seen how many people have been talking about and trying out Cheviot wool. The deadline for getting your reviews in um, for the so it's included in that podcast, is the end of February, which may or may not have been missed by now. But I'll extend that just a little if you are just in the process of trying to get your reviews finished. Um, But it does take a little while to collate that information and sort of um, present it for the show. So um, I always make a a good deadline so that I give myself plenty of time. So if you are um, still furiously um, typing up your notes or, or finishing your Cheviot road test um, I'll give you just a little bit longer all information about wool exploration is in the Ravelry group um, and you can find a thread there for each of the breeds that we're going to be looking at the next one we'll be looking at after Cheviot will be Wensleydale and if you're going to Edinburgh Yarnfest there will be Wensleydale that will be present uh, in the vendor list um, but um, I see that some people are already starting that too so that's wonderful with regards to everything I've been talking about on the podcast today about being an advocate, you know, I just want to close this podcast by saying embracing, supporting and raising up wool, wool businesses and wooly people is, you know, and that's makers, designers, practitioners like yourselves, dyers. It's a small act. It's a very small act. It's something we can all do, um, but it's an act that can mean so much to that business, to that yarn, um, to the future of wool, and definitely to the person behind that business. It's a tiny act, but it's something that can be hugely impactful. Again, be the change you want to see in this world. Not just the woolly world, but the world world. I would We'll be back soon with more of the same. Until then, take very good care. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Knit British podcast. To find out more, visit www.knitbritish.net. I'm on Instagram as at 
underscore knit British and I'm on Ravelry as Lyra. Why not join us in the Knit British Ravelry group too? Take care of that throat. You're a big singing star now, remember? This California zoo is just a little heavier than usual tonight. Really? From where I stand, the sun is shining all over the place. building all the time with buyers. It's building, 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 building. Just like the importance of eating local wool, supporting local... Eating local wool? 